What's interesting, when you look at the gold standard, um, President Herbert Hoover, this is so funny. We have gold because we cannot trust governments. Herbert Hoover famously said this in 1933 in his statement to Franklin uh, Roosevelt. Uh, This statement foresaw one of the most draconian events in U.S. history, the Emergency Banking Act, which forced all Americans to convert their gold coins, bullion, and certificate into U.S. dollars. And this was in 1933. And then you fast forward and... In 1934, after the Emergency Banking Act, after they took all of our gold, the U.S. government revalued gold from $20.67 per ounce to $35 an ounce, raising the amount of paper money it took to buy one ounce to help improve its economy. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. 3,000% inflation. That's how much inflation has happened since the Federal Reserve uh, was put into place in 1913. That's just insanity. And, you know, I'm bringing this up today because we're in this period of time where, you know, nobody knows what's going on. We've got all this inflation out of control. The Federal Reserve is trying to, you know, control things and, and keep inflation under control. And the reality is, like I said, 3,000% inflation since the Federal Reserve uh, came into play uh, in 1913. This is just insanity. And when you look at this chart, uh, by the way, if you're not following my YouTube channel, uh, head over to YouTube and 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 find it. We'll put the link in the show notes. But when you look at this chart, um, right from the Federal Reserve, this is off Fred's website, um, it literally shows from 1913, when the Federal Reserve started, this was the purchasing power of a dollar in 1913. And then you look at what it is today. And uh, this there's an article that actually says it's like 30 cents compared to, yeah, 3.2 cents, not even 30 cents. $100 of purchasing power in 1913 is now 3.2 cents. And we're sitting here wondering, you know, like what's going on and how we got here. And I'm just thinking back to many conversations that I had. Um, I met Robert Kiyosaki and, and Ken McElroy uh, in 2016 and had the privilege of, you know, spending quite a, quite a lot of time with uh, Robert Kiyosaki, but even more time with, with Ken McElroy. And these guys kind of just shaped my thinking during that time. And, you know, some of my other favorites are um, Jim Rickards. Um, he wrote a book called A New Case for Gold and The Dollar Crisis. Um, just an amazing, amazing art, uh, author. Uh, the new great depression was another book of his. And, you know, some of my thinking in the late teens, uh, coming into really what was COVID, you know, there was a lot of talk around, um, at that point in time, just, you know, social security and the fact that we're going bankrupt and, and with all this fiat currency being printed, there's no way that this is sustainable. And also heading into 2020, there was a lot of conversation around modern monetary theory. And I remember everybody like, this will never work. It's not going to happen. Like we won't allow it. And then COVID hits and all of a sudden we're printing ourselves into an oblivion. 
And then on the other side of it, you know, we print, I don't know, like $20 trillion the last few years. And all of a sudden we all wake up and we're like, whoa, what happened? The price of houses are through the roof. The reality is that the price of houses are not through the roof. The purchasing power of the dollar has exponentially cratered. And when you look at assets, and I want to talk briefly about this, um, when you talk about real assets, one of the real problems with this, when you look at this chart um, here, going back to uh, the implosion of the purchasing power. So again, here in 1913, um, $100 was was the benchmark that we're looking at here, the purchasing power. And what's really interesting is from 1913 to the early 20s, we had this just implosion of the purchasing power of the dollar, like just fell off a cliff as soon as the Federal Reserve was put into place. And then all of a sudden, you know, we kind of see an uptick here a little bit, things kind of stabilized. Um, you know, some of this is Great Depression era here. Um, but what's interesting when you look at this chart, and again, if you want to see this chart, just head on over to YouTube and and check out the video, or you can just go to Fred's website too and just pull up the chart that I'm looking at. It's Consumer Price Index for All Urban Consumers, Purchasing Power of the Consumer Dollar in the U.S. City Average, January 1913 equals $100. But when you look at this, what's interesting is in 1933 right here, you know, again, the Federal Reserve here in 1913 is going to save all of us. Um, the purchasing power of a dollar literally cut in half over a seven, eight year period. And then we enter the gears of the great depression. Um, it's not really that hard to figure out what the heck's going on here. Um, and you know what I think our brain naturally just says, there's no way that people could be this diabolical. When I was thinking about Jeffrey Epstein and all of this coming out and, you know, over the last year and a half, I've had the privilege of uh, being able to spend some time with Tim Tebow and looking at sex trafficking. And when you look at like Epstein Island and all these conspiracy theories and air quotations, you're like, there's just no way that this could be real. Like people can't just be this diabolical. And I kind of, you know, when you look at this chart, you kind of feel the same way. Like, oh, maybe this was just a period of time or whatever. But anyway, what's interesting too is in 1933, right here, Roosevelt changed the gold standard on us. What's interesting, when you look at the gold standard, um, President Herbert Hoover, this is so funny. We have gold because we cannot trust governments. Herbert Hoover famously said this in 1933 in his statement to Franklin uh, Roosevelt. Uh, this statement foresaw one of the most draconian events in U.S. history, the Emergency Banking Act, which forced all Americans to convert their gold coins, bullion, and certificate into U.S. dollars. And this was in 1933. And then you fast forward, and in 1934, after the Emergency Banking Act, after they took all of our gold, the U.S. government revalued gold from $20.67 per ounce to $35 an ounce, raising the amount of paper money it took to buy one ounce to help improve its economy. So if you look over here, 1933 and 1934, what happened to the purchasing power of the dollar? It freaking skyrocketed. Why? Because they changed the valuation from $20.67 per ounce after they took all of our gold, by the way, and made us trade it in for $20.67. Then the next year, they revalued it to $35. So they basically increased the purchasing power by 35, 40%. 
And so what happens here, the value of the dollar goes from just a little, you know, less than, let's just call it $58 up to 80. Well, of course it did. You revalued the purchasing power, uh, you know, of, of this, uh, it wasn't totally a fiat currency yet, but you revalued the, the, the price per ounce of gold, which is what was still backing the dollar. This is just madness. And so when we look at this again, when you look at this chart and you see what happened, um, after this, and then, you know, just the, the complete devaluation of the dollar over time down to where it's literally 3.2 cents of purchasing power compared to what it was a hundred years ago. A while back, I did a chart. I took a chart of this same chart, actually. Um, it, it was a little bit different chart, but the same chart essentially. And then I took the, um, cost of housing in the U S and I just flipped that cost of, of houses upside down. And it basically over a hundred years does the same thing. And, you know, there's another interesting thing too, that happened during all of this. Obviously real estate has exploded over time. Um, when, and so is gold really. Um, and why have they actually exploded or has the purchasing power of the dollar just gone off a cliff? And, and, and this chart here just shows you the purchasing power of the dollar has just literally gone off a cliff when the Federal Reserve was in, uh, implemented, and then it stabilized a little bit. And then we come off the gold standard, and it skyrockets again for a little bit. And then it just continues to devalue, devalue. And then here in the early 70s, too, Nixon took us completely off the gold standard. And you hear a lot of conversations around this, and you might be saying, well, Mike, what does that actually really mean? Well, what that means is that back in the day, if the government wanted to borrow $100, it had to have $100 in gold reserves. So and and it's not just equally that simple but really if the dollar was $20.67 for an ounce of gold and the government wanted to borrow $100 it would need 5 ounces of gold in reserves in order to be able to do that well then when uh Roosevelt stole all of our gold essentially and then the next year changed the peg price from $20.67 or whatever it was to $35. Now, instead of having five ounces of gold, the government only needed three ounces of gold in reserve. And so it could borrow more money just by devaluing uh, the, really the value of gold is what it came down to. But, um, and then in, again, in 19, uh, let's just look at this chart again here. In, in the early seventies, um, they took us completely off here in the early seventies um, of the gold standard. And I mean, just the valuation of the dollar just continued to plummet. And then it kind of flatlines here. Why? Because I mean, we are just completely, there's no standard. You can just <laughs> print as much money as you want. And so also we become the world's, you know, superpower and, and a lot of agreements that, you know, put the U S dollar as the reserve currency and all of that. But anyway, for us to be surprised, I'll just go back to what I was saying in this, in the teens, you know, for us to be surprised by the fact that, you know, real estate has skyrocketed. No, it actually hasn't. Um, the value of the dollar has just imploded and investors are looking for secure, real investments, things that they can actually trust. And real estate just happens to be one of those. And plus, because we can print as much money as we want and, and, and because of our uh, fiat system and because of fractional reserve banking, banks love real estate because it's a real asset and they can basically get free money almost essentially from, you know, the federal reserve and the treasury working together. And so what's their favorite asset? Real estate. And so even when there's an implosion, you know, the reason why people get so mad about the banks being bailed out and everything else is because, 
you know, they, they create the system and then they get the bailout to just fix their balance sheets when they've made money out of nothing. It's just like, it's like magic. It's like, poof, we create this. And, and so again, why are they loaning against real estate? Because it's the most inflationary, um, asset that actually exists. It does the opposite of, of, you know, what the dollar is doing essentially as the dollar goes down, real estate goes up. Why? Because there's so much debt around it. And it's one of the things that everybody needs. I mean, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the number one most basic human need is food, water, shelter. So when you look at like some of the best investments, commodities, wheats, chicken, beef, and real estate, (laughs) food, water, shelter. In fact, speaking of water, just kind of crazy. Like it's funny. We you know, we always complain about the the price of gas being, you know, $4 a gallon. Well, if you look at water, <laughs> water's like $5 a gallon when you're buying like glasses, you know, like um, liters of spring water. And I mean, even the five gallon, you know, sparklets is like, I mean, it's like $15 or whatever, you know, for those things to be delivered. And, and so water is actually more expensive than fuel. But you don't hear us bitching about fuel because doesn't really, or I mean water, because it doesn't really make the world go round. Um, although it's basic human need, just like food, water, shelter. Um, anyway, enough of this. Um, I just wanted to point out, you know, what do you do with all of this? This is the thing at the end of the day, like Mike, what am I supposed to do with all of this? Well, I would encourage you to go back and study in a great place to really start is, you know, Jim Rickard's book, um, the dollar crisis and, and, um, a case for gold. I, I love these books. And, you know, really Jim Rickards is a proponent of coming back onto a gold standard. And he's always talking about how people are like, you could never come back to a gold standard because gold would be too expensive. And he's like, sure, you can just take all the the money in the monetary system and all the gold that exists and just divide those two. And, but, and, and Rickards case is that gold would actually be like $50,000 an ounce, somewhere between 10 and $50,000 an ounce. Um, which is why some of these gold bugs, um, including me, maybe, um, you know, love gold so much because, if that ever happens, by the way, when you look at the BRIC countries that are, you know, assembling and more and more countries are coming alongside, um, you know, this has been talked about forever. Kiyosaki and McElroy were talking about this a long time ago. Is there a way to reset? And it's probably not going to be a complete reset. Is there a way to take us off, you know, as the dollar being, uh, the, the reserve currency? Sure there is. Um, you get a bunch of countries together, 10 or 15 of them that don't really love the fact that the United States has manipulated the entire world for so long. Um, and they create some kind of new basket of currencies. Well, how would you create that basket of currencies? It would have to be based on some sort of balance sheet and the most, uh, maybe best safest way to do this without having another, you know, uh, America step in is to say, okay, well, India, you know, you have, 3% of your currency backed by gold. So your Indian rupiah or whatever it is, um, would be 3% of the basket of currencies. And China has, you know, 18% of the gold and Russia has 27. I'm making these numbers up. I can't remember what the exact numbers are, but that would be what the new currency is. So instead of having $1 reserve currency, you'd have, you know, 15 currencies that would come up with some sort of, you know, fair methodology. And it would probably be some level of backing by gold, not a hundred percent backed by gold, but, you know, kind of like what we did from the 19, um, early 1930s, 33 to 72, um, some level of gold backing. And so anyway, why is this all important and what do you do with it? Well, at the end of the day, it comes back to what I'm always talking about. I think we have to figure out how to make more fake currency. How do you make more of this fake money? 
which is what the banks want, which is what the government wants. Everybody wants to get their hand on more fake money. So go out there, figure out how do you make more fake money, double down on your W-2 job, double down on your business, uh, whatever it is, make more fake money. And then look at real assets that you can put into that are hedges against inflation, real estate, a small mix of gold and silver, um, you know, 10, 15, 20%, depending on how risky you want to get. Well, it's not even really risky. It's more, it's just um, the really, it, you're, you're leaving potential upside on the table, unless what Rickards happens, says happens, happens, um, where we go from, you know, uh, I don't know, $1,800 an ounce to 10,000 or 50,000. Um, but really like, I kind of look at gold and silver as kind of like an insurance against inflation. And so maybe that's 10% of your portfolio. Um, I think real estate is still a great long-term strategy. You just have to figure out how to cash flow through that. So make more fake money and invest it into real cash flowing and appreciating assets. And if you just look at the, you know, I think sometimes it's so simple that we think it's too simple and it can't just be that simple. And I think it is that simple. Invest in businesses, um, invest in making more money, and then take that money and pour it into, um, you know, real estate. And there's a ton of investors that have figured this out. They stay focused on their businesses. I talk to investors all week, every week, they stay focused on their businesses and then they take that cash, that cash flow from their business or from their high earning W2 job. They become accredited investors and then they invest passively with other people. Um, that's a very tried and true method. So yes, you can take your money and you can go buy, you know, a single family property every year, which was mine and Kara's goal in the beginning. We wanted to buy, you know, uh, two a year for 10 years. So we wanted to have 20 single families. We bought two the first year. And then in, in 2007 ish, um, a mobile home park deal falls in our lap and we're like, Whoa, this is like magic. You go from two single families to all of a sudden owning 72, you know, pads that have 72 investors paying you or sorry, tenants. Um, I'm like, this is genius. But anyway, there's multiple ways to do this. You can invest. Uh, sure, you could go invest in a REIT or the stock market or whatever. But as an investor um, said to me the other day when I was on a phone call with him, he's like, you know, this is essentially legalized gambling and I want to get all my money out of the stock market because the house always wins. And there's some level of truth to that. Um, you know, do you hit it big if you study and research? Sure. But the reality at the end of the day, unless you're a full-time real estate person that's out investing, which is a business in itself, um, you're probably best suited um, you know, to really invest alongside of, uh, of other people as well. So anyway, I would like to invite you after all that being said, um, we currently have a fixed income fund that's paying 12% per year, uh, annualized or 14% per year annualized. If you come in for two years, um, and this is literally just a bridge, uh, bridge loan, we're utilizing it to get more inventory from the manufactured home manufacturers. Um, inventory strong right now. So we're utilizing investor capital as bridge money um, to order, manufacture, deliver, and set homes. Then once they're set in our communities, we refinance them with permanent uh, fixed debt for our residents um, as they get qualified. And then we pay back the investor um, bridge money. So again, it's 12% for 12 months, 14% for 24 months. Um, so if you're looking for a passive investment opportunity that's putting off cash flow, these are quarterly distributions. Um, it is, there's, there's no appreciation in this. Uh, there's no depreciation tax benefits. It's purely an income play. If you're interested in that, go to wavemarkcapital.com or you can DM me on Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you follow me. Um, again, wavemarkcapital.com, 12% for 12 months, 14% for 24 months. So at the end of the day, I'm going to kind of wrap this up. It's crazy to me, um, that we're shocked by the fact, um, when you again, go back to this chart that, um, you know, the purchasing power of the dollar has literally gone from, 
you know, if it, in January, uh, 1913, if this was a hundred dollars of purchasing power here, we see the federal reserve got created and just took us off a cliff, cut the valuation in half, things stabilize a little bit. And then they're like, Oh God, what are we going to do? I know let's, uh, increase, let's take all the gold, um, from the people and then let's, uh, cut, cut the purchasing power in a third or the valuation in a third, which increased the purchasing power for here for a little bit. Um, but then eventually took us off a cliff as we go into, you know, more and more debt and, and all of that. So hopefully this helps, uh, a little bit. The thing that I guess I really want to say is again, I've said this, but you know, what do I do with this, make more money, invest it in inflationary, um, resistant assets that appreciate the spinoff cash flow. Um, don't bury your money under a mattress because if inflation's at 7%, every year that that money's in a mattress or in a bank for that matter, and the bank is lending it out and getting rich, um, your $100 went to $93 of purchasing power by the end of that year if inflation was 7%. So we're in this period of time where, you know, literally uh, we're all going off a cliff. So it's going to be crazy to see what the purchasing power of the dollar is here in, you know, 10 years from now. It's going to be nuts. Um, but you know, what do you do with it? Again, make more money, invest it in real assets and go educate yourself. Um, you know, again, as you're making more money too, doesn't mean you have to go buy houses. You can invest alongside of other people too, or go buy houses. Um, if that's really what you want to do. Um, but the natural trap and tendency, and I do this all the time is to get distracted from our core, you know, business and where we make money and, um, get distracted. And then we, you know, that old saying, if, if a hunter chases two rabbits, he gets none. Um, that's why I think everyone should consider investing passively. If you're an accredited investor, again, reach out to wavemarkcapital.com. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, I talk to almost every investor that ever invests with us. So if you've been interested or curious, just jump on a call with me. We can talk through it and tell you what it looks like. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they think that being an accredited investor means that you have to go through some course or, you know, get some series seven license or something like that. That's not, that's not what accredited investor means. If you have made, um, $200,000 as an individual or $300,000 as a couple over the last two years with the expectation of making that in the next two, or you have a million dollars of investable net worth outside of your primary residence, then you're an accredited investor. Um, you literally just, uh, we've, we've got a third party company that will, uh, take you through a simple process to make sure that, you know, that's verified, but, um, pretty crazy that the, you know, purchasing power of a dollar is 3.2 cents today compared to what a hundred dollars was when the federal reserve was um, implemented. So, you know, am I wearing a tinfoil hat? Maybe, but I think the writing's kind of on the wall. It's right in front of us. I think we just can't believe that, you know, people could be so diabolical. Maybe it just happened on accident. Who knows? If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.